Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 126, and today we'll be chatting with Adeline Zhu, the co-founder and head of marketing for TopBots. Adeline began her career as a consultant before getting the startup pitch. She then joined an up-and-coming startup called Diapers.com, which was later acquired by Amazon. Following that experience, she continued to build her career as a growth marketer, joining startups like Eventbrite and Nextdoor, where she helped significantly grow the reach of the platform. Moving back to New York, Adeline started her own growth consultancy before launching TopBots, a community for the best bot news. Adeline joins us to share her story, how she got into startups, what it was like growing diapers.com and being acquired by Amazon, some strategies she uses to approach growth based on the stage of the startup, why she's so interested in bots, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Adeline. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, I'm happy and honored to be here with you as well. Frank and I are extremely excited to have you on the show to learn more about your career and marketing growth and bots. But before we dive into that, we'd like to know a bit more about yourself. So where are you from and what did you study? Absolutely. I grew up in San Diego and went to school in Boston. I studied economics as an undergrad. I fell in love with my first Econ 101 course, which might sound a little strange, but I loved how learning about all the ways these frameworks made sense of the world. Everything from opportunity costs to sunk costs were super fascinating to me. And after that 101 course, decided to spend the rest of my college career in it. I also fell into behavioral economics. Behavioral economics is an interdisciplinary study between economics and a little bit of psychology about how people make decisions and many times irrationally. I found that super interesting as well as a framework to explain why we choose the things that we do. Uh, And then from there, um, included both of them in my course of studies. That's really cool. So so how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship really develop? I was fortunate in the way that I was an undergrad at Harvard. And when I first got accepted, I remember that we all signed up to the Yahoo group. And then within a month of starting school is when Facebook happened. And we all soon became the very first adopters on Facebook. I think I was one of the first maybe 2,000 people ever on the platform when you look at your user ID. And from there, I always remember a sense of startups and tech being very exciting and interesting to me. And during college, I was part of the Entrepreneurship Forum and actually hosted our very first uh, I3 innovation competition at Harvard. After college, I, like a good, I guess, uh, economics person, went into consulting. But I, startups was always in the back of my mind and was something that I wanted to do. And after my couple of years in consulting, I immediately transitioned uh, into tech. So on the topic of consulting, how did you start your career and how was the transition like for you going from that consulting opportunity right into a startup? 
Well, consulting was wonderful as a job right after college because you were able to see how all these different companies functioned. Everyone from a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company to a you know, retail shop. And you can see what to do and what not to do. Uh, but after my two years in consulting, the entrepreneur itch started a, you know, I needed to scratch that itch. And was I was in New York at that time. I looked around for, you know, the cool, interesting startups. And back then, startups still wasn't quite the as hot as it is, you know, now. Very few people understood what they were. And most people, my friends were like, what are you trying to do? I remember at that time finding a company called diapers.com and falling in love with their mission of transforming retail and online shopping. At that time, people were like, you're 20, you know, three years old. Why in the world are you doing a company with a name called diapers.com and selling baby products when you're years from being the target demographic? But talking to the founders and the team, it was, I realized they were onto something really, really big. And uh, my my hunch was correct. After joining um, about almost a year later, we became one of the largest destination shopping sites for parents. At the same time, we opened up a lot of other sites such as Soap.com, Beauty Bar, Casa, all these vertically integrated websites for e-commerce. And that's when things really started hitting it off. Uh, we were acquired by Amazon not too uh, soon later for $540 million. So there was a very exciting time, kind of those rocket ships that you join uh, where, you know, we were marketing and then went, you know, to parents and then the next day you're part of Amazon. So as you mentioned, you joined Amazon as part of the diapers.com acquisition. Can you tell us a bit more about, you know, what this experience was like, especially, you know, at that time? It was interesting because when we were first, you know, we were independent and we had this mission where we're going to transform shopping. Our tagline was, you know, we deliver everything but the baby. We would have a, at that time, we offered free two-day shipping, which was unheard of. You know, this was before the days of Prime when everything was, you know, now everything, you assume free shipping and instant delivery. Um, and at that time, we, I remember when I first joined, we were on this huge diaper wars with Amazon. You can go back. And look at these this Business Week report. I remember the cover article was a picture of a baby in an RL sign writing. It was like the diaper wars between diapers.com and Amazon. And as a marketer, it was incredibly crazy times. Like every other day, we would have a new offer. And in terms of trying to get parents to sign up, we were competing with at that time, Amazon had just launched Amazon Mom as a new way to target this um, demographic. And it was, you know, Amazon would put out offer and then we would put out another diapers offer. Costco would come out. Walmart would then try to counter angle. It was it was intense because all retailers at that time realized that the mom was one of the most valuable customers in a person's life. There are only a few major touch points where people will change the types of brands that they use and the products that they purchase. One is right after they graduate college. The second is when they get married. And the third is when they have their first child. For a retailer, if you're able to capture that person right when they're making that transition to their child, then you can own the type of toothpaste they buy forever, the type of paper towels or the laundry detergent. And you know, parents spend like $2,000 in that period right before their child is born and between the child's birth and the first year. And so for a retailer, it's extremely, extremely attractive 
And we initially had owned that market because no one had focused on it before. And then Amazon and everyone else started realizing how valuable this customer segment was. And then that's when the diapers were happening. Soon after, I think all of the senior leadership realized that selling diapers below cost uh, was not long-term sustainable and realized it made much more sense to become part of the Amazon family. Wow, it sounds like a crazy time. I actually read a book called The Everything Store, um, which is, you know, a little bit more about Jeff Bezos, but I think they do dedicate, you know, a few chapters to to that whole diapers.com story. And it does sound just as chaotic and hectic and, uh, you know, filled with opportunity as, as you just talked about. It was crazy. It's my first real taste of startups, uh, but dove right in. Now, I'm very, very fortunate because all the people that were at Quidzy are now at, um, and Quidzy is the umbrella name for diapers.com and the other vertical brands we had underneath it. Um, and all the people who are my former colleagues are all now head of marketing or leading all the different startups in New York because we were that first early guard of people who were actually interested in startups before they were hot here in New York City. So shifting to a bit later in your career, you ended up joining another startup called Nextdoor in a growth marketing role. Can you tell us a little bit more about Nextdoor for folks who may not have heard about it and how you ended up creating the opportunity to work there? Nextdoor is a wonderful company. It is a social network, a private social network for neighborhoods. What it is, is you can think about it as your neighborhood listserv um, or your HOA community board. And people, especially in the suburbs, just love it. What people talk about varies from neighborhood to neighborhood, but it can be anything from local block parties to can I borrow a ladder to there is a lost pet, you know, has anyone seen my dog buddy Um, and to also crime and safety posts. And it was super fascinating because we'd get stories every day about how a pet was reunited with their owners or how a local crime ring was thwarted because one neighbor saw, you know, a getaway car, another neighbor saw, like had a video footage. Uh, Over the time that I was there, we grew from a few thousand neighborhoods to over 70,000 neighborhoods in the country. And in perspective, that's more than 70% of the neighborhoods in the U.S. have next door in their neighborhoods. So likely if you, Tyler, Franco, or uh, go onto your nextdoor.com websites and type in your address, if you're in the U.S. at least, uh, you'll be able to find your next door neighborhood. And there's probably going to be already a very active community talking about local issues and interests. Wow, that's some pretty incredible growth. What was the process like of, you know, taking a digital network like Nextdoor and connecting it into real people's lives and in the physical world? And how did you approach, you know, growing at such a fast pace? So it's very interesting because we were a social network, but at the same time, we grew in a very different way. In the U.S., I think one out of every seven people actually have the contact information of their neighbors. Most people don't even know a single neighbor's name neighbor by name uh, and that's why they need a service like next door but that also presents a huge problem you can't grow in the traditional means of you know having you invite your friends because in this case you actually don't know the contact information of your neighbors you might see them on the streets or down the hall but you actually don't know how to contact them via phone number or email as a result we had to think of a totally new ways to grow a social network. Of course, we still had the traditional forms of email and SMS and other link shares on existing community groups. But we also did a ton of local PR. We had 
amazing stories, like I mentioned, of how neighborhoods come together to help a na- another neighbor's whose house broke down, or how local, you know, a police departments uh, partner with a community to help combat crime. So we had a lot of PR in the local press that helped drive the grassroots um, signups. Coupled that with a lot of direct mail. And yes, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but direct mail actually worked very well because you're talking about a local community. And when you think local, they have addresses and you know your neighbor's addresses. And by using direct mail as a means of inviting other people into your neighborhood, we were able to grow very dense neighborhoods. Those are some great insights and processes. So today you're the founder and CEO of Alight Labs in New York City. Can you tell us a little bit more about what motivated you to launch Alight? I moved from San Francisco to New York. And in the process, um, I was originally thinking of joining another really cool, hot New York startup, but didn't find anything that I absolutely loved when I first came back to New York. And in the meantime, I had a lot of people constantly ask, hey, you know, Adeline, can you help show, you know, help us grow? You've done this for now three or four other companies. You know, how can you take us from zero to 100 or 100 to 1,000? And I, there's just a lot of my friends' companies and just uh, friends of friends' companies that were absolutely incredible that I wanted to work with by opening my own consulting practice, I was able to work with a bunch of different companies in healthcare, in fintech, in retail that I probably wouldn't have had to if I just stuck with one company. And it was super uh, interesting because I got to try all types of marketing, whether it's hacking LinkedIn or you know doing more traditional Facebook ads or holding events or working in B2B sales. By opening a light, I was able to leverage and use all types of marketing that you could think of. Um, and for me, that was super exciting because I was constantly learning and applying what worked you know, from my past experiences and from the other clients I work with to each other and really show the best practices in the space. Um, and really excited about the companies I've worked with, rooting for them. I think a lot of them have all now raised their Series A and a bunch of them raised their Series B. So that's been very exciting to watch. So based on your experience, what are some of the most common mistakes you see other entrepreneurs making when it comes to growth marketing? Uh, There are a couple. So first, a lot of people come and ask me, hey, what's the one hack that I need to do that will grow my business? If you talk to most growth hackers and people will tell you, there's no one silver bullet there's going to be hundreds of little experiments that add together and layer on top of each other to help you get that explosive growth. And so it could be a series of different channels that you really, really optimize over time. Uh, So for example, if you are in B2B, I would recommend that you definitely think about email outreach and list building, content, SEO. If you're B2C, I would tell you, think about all the social channels from Instagram, Facebook, influencer. Uh, And so it really depends on the type of companies. And I would say overall, you have to experiment with a lot of different channels. Over time, you'll find one or two that seem to work and then really hone in and focus on those. Optimize those as much as you can. Read all the different growth things that you can find online. Growthhackers.com is great, uh, is a great resource. Uh, Neil Patel has a wonderful blog 
there's a lot of content out there because marketers love marketing themselves. So you'll not be short of information. So definitely read a lot and test a lot. Finally, if you're a very small startup, you want to focus on what really moves the needle. A lot of times, if you're a small startup, you read about how Facebook changed like a color of a button. And as a result, they increased, you know, their click-through rate. But if you're a really small startup and you don't have that many users, changing a button and increasing your click-through rate by 5% is not going to move the needle. You need things that will change your trajectory by 10, 15, 20, 30% or more because you're starting on such a small base. When you're a small company, focus on big changes. And then only as you get bigger, you can start focusing on the small iterative changes. So in summary, I'd say one, there's no silver bullet to test a bunch um, and read all that you can out there. And three, depending on the size of the company you are on, focus on big changes when you're small and then start tweaking and optimizing more as you get larger. Yeah, that's some great advice, and I'm glad you shared those points with us. So you're also the co-founder and head of marketing of TopBots, a site dedicated to covering the best bots, chatbots, and conversational AI. So what motivated you to launch the site? As a person in tech and a marketer, I've just seen how bots and AI and conversational interfaces are the future. No one downloads apps anymore. The latest metrics show that the three apps that people use 80% of the time are Facebook, Facebook Messenger, and YouTube. And if you're any other app, there's literally very, very little hope for you. And if you're trying to differentiate yourself out this crazy competitive apps market, it's virtually impossible. Ask anybody and they can barely you know, name the last couple of apps that they've downloaded. And since as a result, everyone is now thinking that, you know, that conversational interfaces and messaging is the next trend. There are more people using messenger apps and messaging platforms than they are spending time on social networks. I mean, even Facebook and Zuckerberg has mentioned that messaging is one thing people do more than social networking. So if you look into where all of that's going, plus the evolution of natural language processing and artificial intelligence, and then also look to WeChat and the Asian Titans and where they are now, Apps are no longer where it is, but instead bots and these conversational interfaces is where the future is. As a result, I've really started focusing um, on the bot space since there's so many amazing applications of them. Bots can do simple things such as help you order a taxi, but they can also now be used for really cool humanitarian things such as reporting sexual abuse in Liberia. I just feel like there's just so many opportunities that when you couple AI plus a very natural interface, such as messaging, um, that you have all these opportunities for new businesses. So I know you touched on this a little bit, but what really drew you to bots and where do you see the space continuing to evolve? Most people would say that bot, you know, uh, what apps are today, bots will be in five years. And then I'll add to that what websites are today bots can be maybe in 10 or 15 years. The need for websites can drastically decrease over time. For example, on WeChat, there are more official bots every day that are being created on WeChat than their official company website. I just think about that. That's insane, right? And for those who don't know, WeChat is the number one messaging app. It's the Facebook slash Twitter slash everything of China. For us, it's just super exciting to think about all types of businesses 
that can now be built um, through this new type of conversational interface. Think about all the things that Siri is not doing well now, uh, but can do longer term. Everything from scheduling your day to ordering food to setting your alarm to maintain your health. It can do so many things. Uh, and in the future, when artificial intelligence is smart enough, they will be able to intuit what you want before you even want it. I mean, it'll be like the movie Herb. So I don't think it's that far away. So I know you mentioned that bots is a bit of a trendy space right now, and a lot of people are excited about it. But how do you go about building and growing a community of followers and enthusiasts? Well, it's a really tight and, I guess, active community where everyone is super excited about helping each other right now. There are a couple very helpful Facebook groups. I manage one that's focused exclusively on bots and marketing. So if people have a bot that they've created, the next thing is how do you market it? And so it's called Bot Marketers and Growth Hackers, where we share a lot of tips that we've all experienced both from general growth marketing and then applying them now to bot marketing. Um, so we're doing a lot of that. We also have a weekly curated newsletter where we handpick the best articles in the space, whether it's about a new brand that's launching a bot to learnings that someone found while creating a bot. We feature in our weekly newsletter that goes out to thousands of people. So what's next for top bots in the upcoming months? So top bots, we, as we mentioned, we curate and create a lot of top and content for the bot community. We also work a lot with enterprise and Fortune 500 companies. So we are working with large household brands that you probably recognize as they think about their bot strategies. It's crazy, but um, you know the CEOs and CMOs of the top retailers or the top CPG companies don't really know what bots are. So we are creating bot days where we educate them on what are bots, why they should care, and then helping advise them on what they, how they should incorporate a bot into their brand strategy. That's really exciting. I'm looking forward to following top bots in the upcoming months. So on that trend, what are some of the most recent bots you've come across lately? There's a couple that I really like. Uh, for example, there's one uh, by UNICEF, which I thought is fascinating. It's called Eurport. It allows people in developing countries through SMS or other messaging platforms to share what's going on in their local communities. Uh, I alluded to this earlier, but Eurport was able to find and crack down on sexual abuse in schools in Liberia. Uh, they had heard rumors of how, you know, sexual, like sex for grades was really prevalent in primary schools in Liberia. And so they reached out to 13,000 new reporters um, in Liberia to ask them, hey, is this an issue? 86% said yes, sex for grades was a prevalent issue in their schools. Um, and then with this kind of data, they were able to take it to the Department of uh, Education, the Ministry of Education in Liberia, and now they're actually working on an action plan to help kind of resolve this so that girls feel safe uh, in their public schools. So that's an example of, you know, totally crazy humanitarian bots changing how NGOs and the world works. On the other side, you know, I really like a bot on Slack and Skype called Zoom. It literally will tell you, these are my meetings for the day, my upcoming, and these are who I'm meeting with. And it'll even tell me like this person's LinkedIn profile, their latest tweets, 
And what I find also kind of both cool and scary and creepy is that it'll tell you this person likes to be communicated in this way, and this is their personality type. Uh, but it's really cool. So uh, that one's called Zoom.ai, which I thought was really interesting. So bots can be in any form <laughs> through my experiences. Wow, those are some really uh, cool bots. Thanks for sharing those examples because I feel like, you know, we always hear about the same types of bots. So it's really cool to see them, you know, starting to branch out into different industries and, and you know, countries. So do you have any recommendations on just some great content that you've come across lately, either a book, blog post, or some videos? Uh, on the business side, on Top Bots, we do curate a lot of great content. So check out the newsletter and the website. My colleagues create writing a book called Conversational Interfaces. So if someone's trying to create a next Alexa skill or something conversation, I think that's a really will be a very, very useful um, book to read. I read some of the first chapters and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. Um, and then in general, I recently read Phil Knight's uh, Shoe Dog. It's an incredible book about the founding story of Nike. He goes into very good detail um, and also into like the personal ups and downs of what it was like to found one of the largest brands in the world. Uh, it's a really fun read. It reads like a fiction, but it's actually nonfiction. Uh, so I think that's a really cool and inspiring book for entrepreneurs. Awesome. Those are some great resources and uh, we'll make sure that we link to them so other people can check it out. This has to be one of my favorite questions we ask guests on the show. Like if you had to go back in time and give yourself some advice on your career or life, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself or someone who is starting their career in technology or marketing that a career is not linear, but over time you'll find potentially a thread that might take you through your career. I mean, I started my background in consulting and then I went into marketing. Then I also tried finance at some point as an investment banker, as well as a product manager. But in the end, all those experiences have made me a much more well-rounded founder and entrepreneur that I am today. I look back on every one of my previous experiences fondly because they've all contributed somehow to how I think about the world and how I understand businesses. Um, I wouldn't trade any of those kind of sideways tracks for anything. I also think, you know, it's okay to experiment. And if you have a startup that doesn't work well, just try another one. I know so many countless founders who just are serially iterating and again and again. And the first one, two, or even three startups, the ideas might not work, but the fourth one might, you know, finally hit product market fit. I would also emphasize continually test and make sure that you do find a product market fit before dedicating your entire life or years of your life to a product that no one actually wants, that only you yourself thinks that people should have. So I would, I guess to summarize is it's okay to have lots of curved paths in your career. Um, take all of those and know that they will help you become a more rounded person. And then once you do decide to do a startup, if you iterate multiple times, that's also totally cool and great. But at the same time, make sure that you do have product market fit before you dive fully completely into one product. So changing the subject a little bit, what's been the most memorable moment in your career so far and, and why? I mean, there's so many great moments. But the one I think that really nailed it home for myself as an entrepreneur is when I first got my incorporation letters. It's kind of anticlimactical in a way because it's just one document that says, you know, name your company Inc. But for me, it was final like telling sign that like, oh, 
I'm finally embarking on my own entrepreneur journey. I've worked a lot in startups, but hadn't, you know, become my own founder. And getting that legal incorporation document was the moment that said, hey, now I'm actually living all the talk that I've been doing for so long. Since then, I've incorporated many businesses. uh, But I think that very first one is just a dear spot in my heart. So just as a way to, uh, to to wrap up and end the show, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I personally have started meditating. I use apps like Calm and just daily times for myself. I think with such a crazy world and if you're an entrepreneur and hacking you know, your way to success, that there's just very little time for yourself. And I would say make time for both your mental well-being and your physical well-being. Your startup and company will always continue to be there. But if you don't have good health or in a good place mentally, then none of that will matter. So I would say take care of yourself first um, and then your company and your friends and family. Awesome. That's a great way to end the episode. Adeline, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on. Great. Thank you and loved meeting you guys as well. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.